What's up, guys? On today's podcast, we are going to be interviewing on a coaching call an accredited investor who is a CPA here in Hawaii. We're going to dig into his net worth, see what he's been up to, and advise him along. But before we get going, you know, I just wanted to give some commentary on where we are in the year 2020. I think most people will say well, it's been a pretty rough year, depending on what you've been up to. In our Hui group, we've been pretty much prudent picking up deals that cash flow, staying away from more of those class C deals that have bad uh, collections, bad tenant base, and uh, picking up better assets with better tenants with a little bit of value add. I don't see how the strategy can go wrong, right? If it's cash flowing day one, you underwrite it where the office can drop 20, 30% and you're still in the black. I don't see why you would need to wait like this narrative that a lot of people go by. Oh, I'm waiting until you know the lecture. I'm waiting until next year. Here's three reasons why I think waiting is just a bad idea here. Like number one, you're not going to have access to those deals if you're not already in the game playing. You're not going to have access to those relationships, the lender relationships, and you're not going to know what the deal is. Most people who say this are the guys who haven't even get started. Uh, number two, I'm not buying assets that are distressed deals anyway. If you notice, my stuff is 90% occupied or more, so I can get that Fannie Mae Freddie Mac debt. Me personally, I don't really go after distressed assets. And I think like a lot of these guys are saying they're going to wait till this distressed inventory comes online. And I'm like, dude, you're not even a sophisticated investor. You haven't bought anything. What are you going to do with a distressed asset if it falls into your life? You'll probably screw it up. I don't, I don't want to touch those distressed assets, me personally. I like stabilized assets from the get-go. And lastly, by the time you're ready to jump in, how are you going to know? Like, we, did you jump in around 2009 to 2014? No, a lot of people didn't. They didn't know when the bottom was, maybe because they didn't have the relationships and connections. Those who are already in the game, strategically and prudently picking up cash flow were the winners back then. And I think that's what it is now. And I do believe that this will all pass. And you know, I, and I don't follow people who are trying to get rich off doom and gloom and getting people to buy gold um, and get a little bit of affiliate commissions done that way. A little bit of me personally, lately, I've been trying to not work 12 to 14 hours been taking a little bit of a lunch break. Normally I just work right through, but I you know, make myself a little lunch put on the YouTube. And yesterday I was watching a video by Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy. People call him Mr. Wonderful. And I'm looking here with the video. If you want to look it up, how I made my first million dollars part one. It's a 20 minute video, but I thought it was pretty cool. He talked about, he gave the story of how you, know, you can get tricked into taking a salary. He gives the story, he, he repeats the story a lot, but I'll summarize it. He, his first job was working in an ice cream shop, scooping ice cream. And the reason why he did it was there was like a cute girl next door in the adjacent store. He wanted to you know, be close to her. So he took that job. And after his first day of work, he was scooping ice cream and they're wrapping up the shop. And normally when people ask for samples, they throw their gum on the ground. And it's, I guess it's really nice Mexican tile. It looks really beautiful. And so he was wrapping up and then the owner told him to go pick up the gum that people dropped on the floor. And of course, you know, he, he sees the girl in the adjacent store. He doesn't want to bend down and do it. And he's, no, you paid me to scoop ice cream, not like scrape gum off the floor. And then she told him to get on his bike and never come back again. And today he's very thankful for that because after that, he said he never really worked for money. Now, I think not, not a lot of people are like Mr. Wonderful. He comes, comes across as a little jerk, but I think that a, a lot of people, they follow their career path a little bit too long. 
and they never really go after their passions. And maybe they they just want to hit financial freedom. That's cool too. And a job is a means to the end. Not everybody is going to become an entrepreneur and crack that five million dollar, ten million dollar, fifty million dollar net worth level. Now, for a lot of us, you know, that listen to simple passive cash flow that come out to our events, I know your guys' profile. You guys are hardworking professionals. It's not practical to tell your boss that you're just here to scoop ice cream. You're not going to pick gum off the floor. You guys got to pick up gum off the floor because you guys got uh, you got families and you got to put food on the table. But I think for me, the takeaway and where I disagree with Mr. Wonderful here is you got to pick up gum off the floor. But if you put your money to good sound investments that outperform the retail stock and mutual fund market, and you do it in such a manner where you pay very little taxes, you guys can check out my taxes on simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax, but that's enough on that. And you're going to get financially free in, I'd say, under a decade if you're able to save thirty dollars to $50,000 to investments every year. Maybe your goals is in five, 10, $15 million, but Mr. Wonderful kind of also outlines how do people get to that level, five, 10, 50, $100 million net worth. Now, maybe I don't aspire to be there and maybe you don't either. People who get to that level, there was always this getting to this pedestal of your first million dollars. And somebody talks about in this video, his stories was going and learning how to be a cinematographer, making videos, and that was his trade. He made a deal with his business school to make a MBA video promoting the, the program. He just made like 40,000 bucks, but he parlayed that into another venture, putting together short bits. And then he eventually sold that company for a under million dollars amount of money, but that allowed him to get into the next software venture with another person who did the software. He sold it. And that was obviously a soft key and his other business there, and that parlayed it into the five, $10 million plus range. But yeah, all these entrepreneurs that you see that are very famous, it's usually about two or three steps, two or three things that went right for them to get there. And they're outliers. I'd say most of us that are listening on the podcast, we're just trying to get our first one and then invest it smartly. And yeah, you may not do some business venture, but your job can get you there especially if you're making over 100, 200 grand a year. If you just invest it right, be smart with taxes, you're not going to make soft key like how Kevin O'Leary did and sell it in a few years. But you know, if you work at your job for 10 years or maybe even 20 years, if you're doing it the slow mutual fund way, it'll get you to that first level. And once you get up to that first level, that's where you take it up to more legacy wealth creation. I talk a lot about getting to your first $100,000 level for the guys in the incubator group, getting your current keys. And then once you get up to the half a million, million dollar mark is a net worth. And then you get to this accredited investor status. But for those who are accredited investors, the next nice threshold they get to is a three and a half, five million dollar mark. At that point, you're able to live pretty comfortably. And I think he talks about this video as most entrepreneurs at some point, they just realize that they're rich, they're affluent at that point. And it's a very binary thing that you're living very cheaply. Me personally, I feel like I'm still pretty poor at this point. Maybe I'll one day I'll have that epiphany. But check out the video, How I Made My First Million Dollars Part One. Ask Mr. Wonderful is the YouTube. And yeah, continue to watch more of these inspirational videos. But yeah, enjoy the coaching call. And if you guys would like to get on a coaching call, we still do these for volunteers that are willing to put themselves out there. If you haven't checked out the website yet, 
there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. One thing I would suggest is if you're looking for some kind of activity to do in the winter time from home, try and check out our guide on trade lines. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash trade lines. It's a great way that I made at least $10,000 these past two years doing this on the side, renting out my credit card slots, my authorized user slots on my credit cards. And if you haven't yet, join our club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and enjoy the show. Try to rent them out. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we are doing another member coaching call. And I think this one's going to be a good one. We got a credit investor here, net worth 1.2 million bucks, a semi-high income earner, not too high, like in the 300s, like some of the doctor dentists we've got, but definitely making a good professional salary. So this should apply to a lot of you guys. But we have Brian, who is a CPA from Hawaii, a local guy here. But yeah, Brian, why don't you tell us your story a little bit? Give us some context before we start digging into your personal financial statement here. Yeah, sure. So like many folks, I ended up leaving Hawaii and I went to college on the mainland. I got my undergraduate degree from a school in Oregon. And after that, I was fortunate enough to get a job here back in Hawaii. So when you get a degree in accounting, you usually start off as like in in public accounting, working for a firm. So that was the route I took. I was doing assurance or audit work. And after about three and a half years there at that firm, I was like, I don't think this is really for me. I don't think it's going to be not going to be in the partner track, so to speak. So I, I jumped off and went to private industry. And I've been there ever since. I've worked a few different jobs. I actually ended up working for a few real estate companies and I'm still working for one right now. They're a, a developer of resort properties and golf courses and similar type assets. And yeah, it's basically it. Oh, and prior to that, I was working as an analyst for a, a home builder, a national home builder. So I, I was able to get a good grasp on the number side of working for a real estate company and working real estate deals. But now I don't really do that. I focus more on the accounting side. So not as cool, not as exciting and sexy, but uh, it's a job. Yeah, pays well. And just for a little context, Probably have a, I would say like 10% of the members are actually here from Hawaii, but yeah, so Brian and I actually went to the same high school. I don't know, we haven't seen each other since what, like 15 or 20 years ago. We're on the golf team. We both kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you guys don't know. <laughs> the bottom um, tier guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they, they send us out and because we have to play for a position, but it's just, we're just here because it's free and our parents told, to do it, told us to do it because this is the way to boost our uh, resumes to get into college. At least that was what I was told to do. But, but yeah, yeah so, it's the same here, I think. People in Hawaii, they go usually go to school in the mainlands because the, uh, the school is not too good here. Yeah. How long were you on the mainland, like after college working? I actually didn't really work up there. I, I stayed up there for a little while after I graduated, but I graduated when times are pretty tough, so to speak. It was like 2010, 2011, so there weren't too many uh, jobs available. I probably didn't do a good enough job marketing myself when I was in college also. So yeah, I was, I was lucky to get a job here, I think around that time yeah no, no offense man but you were you and i are similar we're like underperformers at the other uh, corporate life which is probably why they didn't red circle you to uh be partner or second level thing which is why we're here and this is why your net worth is this way because you chose Possible. a different path 
along the way. Um, Possible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any feedback for younger guys in the CPA track? Because you, you look like you're 25, but you're really actually, oh, you're two years younger than myself. You've been working for quite a while. How does it kind of work? You work for four years getting coffee for people or how does it normally work? Yeah, I, I think it's probably similar across the, the nation. When you start out at a firm, you, you work these long hours doing pretty menial tasks. You're the, the grunt, the low man on the totem pole. But I still would recommend that folks that are doing accounting out of college do work for a firm. I think you gain really valuable experience doing those horrible menial tasks for years and making a pretty poor salary. But uh, yeah, overall, the experience I would say is, is, pretty, is pretty good. And, and you, you come out of college with sort of a, your, your own group or cohort, people that are similar aged with you, and they all are hired to firms at the same time. So it's a nice stepping stone into work in the, in the real world, so to speak. So you're working with people that are your same age and similar experience and, and background a lot of times. So it can be fun a lot of times and, and also horrible. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. Mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net growth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America where collectively the fund and investors like you pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. Yeah, so we break that, we work backwards. The net worth is a score, right? $1.2 million net worth. You make about 90, 100 grand a year. Living in Hawaii where salaries are maybe like 20 or 30% less than counterparts on the mainland. When I first see this, I'm a head scratcher. Obviously, I do. unless somebody gave you a lot of money, do you think they, you got a little help, I think, right? Like to, for down payment, yeah, but not much. But yeah, I automatically yeah. know right now that yeah. there's you, you did something real estate probably related. I am just have a hunch. I'm not know, but tell us about like when <laughs> you start investing in real estate because I see this all the time, right? Like doctors, for example, they make over 300 grand a year. I very rarely see them above one to $2 million network. But the guys who are investing and doing this stuff, like they're like three, four, five plus million at least. So it's like night and day. Numbers don't lie. So tell us, how did you get to 1.2 here? Yeah, I guess part of it was luck and a lot of some uh, unluckiness also. But I, I started young when I was about maybe two years out of college. I bought my first unit and it was a fixer upper that required a lot of uh, 
sweat equity, so to speak. So I, I bought it. It was what, what's called a leasehold property, which is common here in Hawaii. So people were overlooking it. And while it was a leasehold, the fee was actually for sale. So you could buy it outright and own the, the unit. So I was able to get it all in with the fee at about 300, little over 300,000. And, and I put in about maybe 20 or, or $30,000 of work and materials. And that was my first place. And I, I lived there for about three years, maybe two or three years. And I had a roommate also because it was a two bedroom. So that helped me out a lot as far as paying down my monthly expenses. So how'd you get the down payment for that? Because it was what? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I I was able to save up enough for the down payment myself, but on the fee portion, I I had a loan from my parents that I'm actually still paying them back right now. So I I borrowed about maybe a hundred thousand from them to purchase the fee on the unit. And eventually I was able to refinance the whole package together to, to get a fee simple loan on it. So yeah, my parents definitely helped me out with my first place with the cash. They own rental property themselves? So they used to, yeah, yeah. And one of the units on the, my sheet is really, I co-own with them. So it, that's a rental unit that they own. And they actually bought it for me when I was in college with the intent that I would live there. But I stayed up on the mainland for a little while and then they ended up renting it out to a family friend. But yeah, it's the one that's like on the bottom, the last one there. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to do with it, honestly, but I put it on there because I was able to get a, a line of credit on it because I'm technically the owner on it. But yeah. Cool. That worked, right? That got you started. They could have not done that. You're probably just working on your ratchet Subaru WRX, drinking beers in someone's <laughs> garage right now, just going to your day job, right? That could have very well happened at that point. Yeah, yeah, no. Definitely. And my parents definitely had a, a, a positive influence on me. They, they've had rental units as far as, or as long as I can remember. They had some even off island and out of state. So not anymore other than this one, but yeah. Yeah. That's why we both went to the mid-pack, right? Or I mean, our parents kind of have some money, not rich, but. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, I was fortunate enough, just like you, I think. And my parents actually sold one of their houses, I think, too to put me to mid back in uh, college, but they just did okay. But yeah. Yeah. But you and you and I both know that a lot of our classmates like trust fund kids and their parents did it incredibly the wrong way where they just paid for college. The, the kids didn't do anything. And now we're seeing them all like the grandparents, grandparents dying right now and giving their one to two, three million dollar estate and then just buying a bigger house to live in. What they did here yeah. is not to say there's a lot of different ways to generate the second generation wealth, but this worked. So note that some of the older listeners can, I think, can should think of that. What looking back, would you do the same thing? You don't have kids, but that sparked it all, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was a good experience fixing up my first place. Some of it good, some of it bad, but yeah, it was definitely a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the hard thing. A lot of people just so, can't get that first 30 grand, right, to get started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next thing I look at here is after we look at the net worth, I know where to start, which side of the cow to start shooting at. Then I break down the sort the sources, which is you make a decent salary. You're honestly not, like you said, uh, on the partner track. But hey, that's cool because your rental income <laughs> is more than that, right? You probably make you probably yeah. make more money than your boss's boss at this point. I don't know about that. He's a pretty he's a pretty successful dude. But yeah, I, I think I'm on the right track. And I just 
I, I need a, well, I was hoping to get some guidance and, and maybe just if you were in my shoes, what would you do next steps wise? Career wise, you're already on the right track. You're at this point, like when I got up to probably 11 rentals back in 2015, that's like when I hit the hockey stick, like you're right at that cusp. It took you, mm-hmm. what, 10, 12 years to get up to this point to build your passive cash flow yeah. up to about a few grand. To double that, it's going to be like a quarter of that. That's why I'm saying like, yeah, you're just going to blow past your boss's boss take home very soon. Yeah. But the tough thing is in Hawaii, I have a few condos here and the, the cash flow is really not that good. So I think long term, I'd, I'd like to, to sell them. That was always the intent actually, but it just worked out where I, I kept having folks that, that wanted to stay in rent. So I kept rolling them forward. Yeah. And that's the hard thing, right? Like you, I tell you one thing, but until you go remote and you see it for yourself and get comfortable with it, it's hard to get away from almost paid off. Like these condos you have in Hawaii, you got a pretty good equity position and which is not good. Yeah. This one yeah. Yeah. But they don't really produce very much monthly cash flow, really nothing. I, I just look at them as pretty much break even. At least they're paying off my monthly mortgage and, and maintenance. But yeah, you're playing the appreciation game. And up to this point, you've been, you've invested in the right decade. And with the whole pandemic yeah. happening and the short term seller's market, I think it's a great time to start selling them off slowly, but we can get more into that. But yeah, just wrapping up that. And then I just peek over, you're pretty good. Like your net cash flow which is like your take your how much money you're able to put to a new investments is over 60, 70 grand a year. That's awesome, man. That's, this is the most important number. I don't really care how much money you make. It's the kind of the net, right? There's so many guys in like the Bay area or bigger cities that make three times as you, but make or able to save half this. Like most people Mm. in our group, they're able to save at least 30 grand a year. You're in like the top 10% ish. But I know you. you Yeah. And I didn't really budget in for any major uh, repairs or anything. So that number can definitely go down pretty quickly. But I'd say in a good month, I guess that would be where where I'm at. Yeah. I would say you're already on the path, man. Depends like what your goals are. Like if you just want to like stomp on the gas and get there really quick and live. I know you probably live a little frugally. What car do you drive? Oh, I have a Ford truck. (laughs) Yeah, go figure. Look, if you want to go and spend like 10, 20 grand a year on a vacation or a nicer car, I wouldn't have any heartburn. It's the guys who are able to save less than 30 grand a year that they need to tighten the belt a little bit and trade their Tesla for that Ford truck or the, maybe not Honda Civic, but at least get the Camry or something decent. But yeah, these are all, this is like your, your cash flow, right? This is your, what direction you're heading. And I'm telling you, man, like you're going to get there pretty damn soon, like three to five years to financial freedom. So you can get there in two years or you can get there in four years, but like actually live a nicer life, start living. That was like, there's nothing sweeter than taking some of this cash flow and buying something nice for yourself. You never know when you're going to die. Yeah, def- definitely. I think though, part of the reason why I listened to you and I started really getting into your, your content is I'd like the the freedom or the option in the future to to look elsewhere, I guess, for employment or maybe not work. I probably would always work, but maybe just doing something else or just having the option. So I think that would be my main driving factor right now is just freedom. But yeah, on a scale of one to ten, how stressful your job? It, it goes up and down, it ebbs and flows. 
but I would say on average, it's not overly stressful. And, and, and I don't not like what I do. It's not horrible. So it's something that I could definitely keep on doing. But just having the option to maybe go and, and follow something that I'd be more interested in or have more passion, I don't know. maybe yeah. work for a nonprofit, even something with a, the mission really resonates with what I'd like to, to see happen in the world. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, yeah. I'm speaking too crazy right now. But. It's, a, I, it's an idea. And unfortunately, unless you're like, twid, you're able to free your time up and get three to six months of twiddling your thumbs doing nothing, you don't find that thing you're talking about right now it's just an ideal but it's not like a concept you most people take yeah, that exactly. to get there right. so what i'm probably hearing i'm just assuming this like you'd rather take a 10 20 percent pay cut for a little bit more chill job yeah i think so or maybe not even more chill but just having the freedom to look for something that would be a little bit more of a passion project so to speak versus like just clocking in and clocking out yeah unfortunately in your career I mean, path i, I might even still you got to go like full-time, right? You got to stay full-time. Yeah, I was just going to say, I might even consider working at, at a job like this, but just not full-time. I, I think it's possibly an option, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't really explored it because I, I don't have the, the ability to really. Yeah, who does, right? It's funny. People who do this stuff and then they go have that conversation with their boss. It's funny that they often get more pay and they get a few days taken off of the week. Nobody has, everybody yeah. else lives by this paradigm where they're like, their employer has them by the balls and they have to keep working and, and coming in just like everybody else. But yeah, you'll get there, man. What's your, like your living situation and you're married, you got 50 kids. Just get some contact. Uh, I have a girlfriend that we both live together. We actually bought, if you look on my uh, sheet, I think it's five under the real estate tab, the primary residence there. We just moved in earlier this year and we bought a place here so that's she and i are both 50 percent on that our, our primary and we bought a big house here in hawaii and we're able to rent out half of it or so so that's why there's some income there but that represents my my 50 percent houses here are like pretty crazy ridiculous expensive so yeah that's actually it a looks cheap like house, a real, right 700 grand is actually a cheap house yeah Oh no, that's well. That's my fifty percent. That's my fifty percent of it. Oh, okay, so okay. So it's a one point like, four million yeah, we, dollar house. That makes more sense. Yeah, we paid <laughs> we paid like one point three one point three million for it. But uh, yeah, luckily we can rent out a, a lot of it or, or a portion of it, so it helps us quite a bit with our monthly. Otherwise, yeah. we'd be stuck with this big bill every month. But what do they do for work. She works for the government for the state, so she has a pretty stable job. Not really high, super high earner, but yeah, she has a stable career, I'd say. Who does? I don't think she likes her job very much right now, actually. Perfect. Because <laughs> she makes less than you. So at some yeah. point, you guys need to start doing the real estate professional status gig. Yeah, I heard you talk about that before. And, and she can get her license and we can get some better deductions. Getting your real estate license and doing 2,000 hours of real estate has nothing to do with real estate professional status. It's Mrs. Elbert. Yeah, she just has to have active participation in your real estate portfolio. Okay. But we talk a lot about this in the mastermind where it's a little bit of a gray area, which is why I don't like to record this type of stuff. But it's totally legit. But yeah, it needs to be like, 750 it doesn't have to she, she can't have a full-time day job which i'm sure the state will be cool with her going like part-time at some point and she has 750 hours of active participation using your portfolio so at this point you've already got a lot of hawaii stuff but we'll talk a little bit here i probably want you to unload the hawaii stuff because the rental value ratio suck right yeah. like 
I would say like maybe think about doing like a little dinky Airbnb rental or something and have her change sheets for 750 hours a year. That can be an option or some, some of the higher net worth investors, they like to come on as a general partner in our deals. That can be another one. But yeah, a myriad of different ways. Of course, talk to your CPA attorney. But but yeah, I would say that's in the cards for you guys, maybe in the next, not now, but I would say three, four years from now and beyond. But this is all coming together, right? This is kind of optimal. She makes probably way less money than you. She doesn't like her job. Cool. This is really hard for me when you guys love your job and make a lot of money. And I'm like, God dang it. It's hard. That's hard. It's good when people have a mismatch in in salary. So cool. Clear path there. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. 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 That'd be perfect. She wants to stay. She wants to be a stay-at-home mom slash wife eventually. So (laughs) that's her goal. Yeah. That's good for you, man. Unfortunately, you didn't marry her like a rich doctor or sugar mama, but this is, that's not a bad second op. Yeah. (laughs) I hear what you're saying. The one that got away. So if they quit or went part-time, you still probably be good, right? That cash flow. I would say as long as you keep mm-hmm. that above 30 grand a year, you're already on cruise. You should already be in cruise control at this point. It's just a matter of just digging into these properties. And I don't know if you saw my return on equity spreadsheet. Folks can download that at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ROE. But it's basically what I'm, the exercise I'm going to do right here is just figure out where your debt equity is at. So I'm going to take your fair market value minus your how much more debt you have on there and kind of sum them up. Does this make sense? You got like about 1.1 million in equity. Does that sound about right? Or Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That sounds probably about right. Like I was saying that last property though, I wasn't even going to put it on there, but I just put it on there because I have a, a line of credit on it. So I don't know if maybe it would be more accurate to just take that off. Okay. Okay. Yeah. At some point, yeah, yeah, at some point we play around with it. I don't even know if I spelled that right. So this is really bad, man. Like your net worth is 1.2 and your dead equity is 1.1. That's really bad. If if I was a doctor and these are like your, your vitals, right? I would probably wonder why you're still living. So in this sense, I would probably (laughs) picture a really like, like, really cheap miser who is house rich or equity rich but super poor and just rides like drives around in a pos and it's super cheap i don't know that's how you feel like but that's how if i didn't know you and i was just looking at this that's how i would think and people maybe people don't you know give people more context people in hawaii this is very common right people are very debt adverse and they'll have 1.2 million dollar homes that are paid off but they don't even have money to fix a damn roof because they don't have cash it's just a strange phenomenon yeah it's very unfortunate but yeah i do feel like that sometimes like i just i have a decent amount of assets but it's i know i'm not really utilizing them utilizing the assets to their full potential i don't even know if that's the right verbiage but yeah i i I get what you're saying so that was one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you yeah you can make up your own decision but let's just figure out which to sell first so you can do it two ways with one like how i outlined it here and just go after the biggest fish or you can go by percentage of equity which one of these is making you the least amount of return based on equity or return on equity percentage so like you take this property this condo how much money are you making per month on this one what's the rent yeah i mean it i 25 50 a month but again i count it as almost just 
net zero. Maybe I cash flow positive a small amount, but yeah, so that's pretty common. Half a percent rental value ratio in Hawaii with a big ass HOA and just sucks it dry. So I would say yeah, that probably be the first candidate to sell because your equity position or that's one of the bigger fish, plus it has the lowest amount of return on equity. I mean, you can probably, you probably should probably sit down and really order them, but that's what I would go first after. And then probably this one. I, and I know this one has the highest amount, but like you said, your family owns part of it. We don't want to give mom and dad a heart attack. They're old. Yeah. Let's get some, let's get some proof of concept with these crazy ideas I'm filling your head with first before we tell mom and dad, maybe you'll get married or something or have kids that are happy and then break the news to them the next couple of years or something. <laughs> So I think deploying money, especially for you, that's someone super new at this stuff, like 200 grand deploying that in one year is going to be, I think that might be a little bit ambitious. So this is now I'm like starting to like market off into the year. So like 2020, 2021, 2023, and you can make a diagram for this for yourself later on, but I would invest maybe a hundred or 150. I don't know. What do you want to do? Do you want to buy some turnkeys on the mainland or do you want to do like passive syndications? What do you want to do? Yeah, I don't know. I guess that that was one of the questions that I had. Say you were in my position, what would you be be looking for and uh, how would you want to deploy? Say I was able to sell these places, how would you want to deploy? Would you try and look for syndications or, you know, multifamily or single family home deals? Uh, That's where I wasn't too sure, especially now times are a little uncertain and shifting around everything is shifting around so yeah i was going to get your take since you're pretty plugged in and and tuned into this stuff i would just do all syndications especially if your net worth is over like a million bucks i think what is seriously what is like a hundred thousand dollar dinky property in birmingham going to change your life other than just give you another headache Mm -hmm. but it will you already know how to be a landlord you you already know how to dance like so i don't think you would gain much in terms of experience being able like just buying like a turnkey or even you certainly shouldn't do a burr that's just for like broke people who are trying to they need to take more risk and they need to go after i was actually thinking about i was actually thinking about trying to do some out-of-state burrs after i listened to i think one of the guys you had on your your podcast was talking about managing burrs from out of state when i was like oh that sounds interesting but yeah it always sounds interesting and then when they talk about it they rave about all these returns but here's my thing man you're fighting with one arm tied behind your back on somebody else's home court i wrote a big article on this Mm. like why i would not do like burrs but like number one risk of embezzlement with contractors I comes from like construction management, right? So I'm the one who always works change orders with the contractor. I know how to play these dance, but dude, you're, you've done this in the past, but most people, they're trying to play like owner and trying to do this. Like it's just outside your realm and you're doing this remotely. I'd much rather have you just flip a house in Hawaii. At least you're, you see this stuff as opposed to relying on a third party to do it. Mm. And it's just not right. worth the risk. But yeah, embezzlement. Because you're wiring over large sums of money and you're not able to verify the, the scope of work was completed and to what level of quality. And everybody knows you're just some rich mm-hmm. person from Hawaii, even though that's not the case. You got like a piece of junk old Ford. They don't know that. They, their idea is like you're just some like rich investor in Hawaii drinking pina coladas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't think it's worth it for people making over like 80 grand at their day job and especially having a net worth of 
over half a million bucks. Mm. But if you enjoy it, yeah, man, do it. But I think you're better. maybe a, a hobby. Maybe yeah, a hobby, but a small. I think it detracts, right? I think like the name of the game is networking and building relationships with higher net worth, higher credit investors. That's where you should be focusing your time and energy on, right? Not screwing around with some toolbox Tim out in Indianapolis or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's no carryover. Okay. What are your thoughts on, I, I have a line of credit on my place in uh, Las Vegas. And I was thinking instead of selling those two rentals I have in Nevada and in Texas, because they pretty much have been managed themselves. They manage themselves, but they, there hasn't been too many problems there. I've got pretty good tenants um, so far, knock on wood, and pretty good property managers. So I was thinking about maybe just pulling the money out of there and trying to do something with it instead of selling them off. Good intermediate strategy, right? For now, to get you, we're trying to get you proof of concept right before you go all in. So, like when you have mm-hmm. equity, you have, you have three options: you can sell the asset, which is what I'm proposing. You can do a cash out refinance, get at it, but unfortunately you got to pay. The lenders love it, right? Because that's how they make money. They pick up the origination fees. Or like you said, do a HELOC, right? The problem with the HELOC is that it's you're not getting at the full, in this case, 194 grand. You probably want to get at half of it. But the half of it, you got a lot of money there. Half of it, it's enough to go into a couple of deals, get you proof of concept that way. You have so much equity mm-hmm. here. I would say the HELOC is a great way to just test the waters. And then eventually sell. But w- whatever you want to do, man, I think all those are all mm. steps in the right direction. Is that what you're probably going to do? HELOC okay. that thing and then play around with 100? Uh, yeah, I already have a, I have a HELOC on that, that property. And I, when I refinanced my first condo here, I paid off the loan on that house. So it's, that's why it's free and clear right now. Mm. So I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking I could take some money out that way. And, and just like you said, proof of concept and try it out and see you know, how it goes. Yeah. However you want to do it, either this one or this one, mm. get a HELOC on both. Get it now. Mm. It's, while you're it's, filling out the same paperwork, you might as well just cut and paste the, the name and you get a HELOC on them all. HELOCs don't uh-huh. cost anything. And so, uh, what about as far as what should I be looking for? And it's in, say I do go into syndication, what should I be looking for? You think I see they have these ones that give you a debt position versus an equity position or some that are like value add plays and they're trying to fix it up and refinance out or more of a like a yield play i i saw some of those as well what would you yeah, think I mean, would be the best you, that's syndication is a very general term you can syndicate anything you can syndicate very like conservative stuff like a debt position or like value add uh light value add yielding assets or like a brewery a restaurant like developments like you can syndicate anything it ultimately comes down to your risk tolerance. Like when I first started it, I was looking more for like late value add, more cash flow based type of deals, things that were cash flowing right away and where you start to collect checks in the second quarter. That's what I thought was a prudent way to dip my toes into it. And that's what I went and learned. And I built my community around that. But I would say stick to like more of a debt position or pref equity position or more of a lighter medium value add type of project where they're, you know, maybe putting in definitely less than $10,000 of rehab into every unit. But yeah, stay away from like the developments and all that heavy stuff for now, I would say, especially baby steps, right? I know you've been involved in a lot of these syndications and a bunch of folks that do this type of syndication deals. Have you ever seen one that, that went wrong or went south and what happened? Yeah, I'm in one of those. I had a bad partner and that's 
pretty much the risk, right? Like syndication deals, you're gonna always gonna be better if you invest with honest people that are competent. And that's the so the GP kind of went astray on you. Yeah. Yeah. So then I had to invoke oh. my, my GP rights and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, still fighting through it, but yeah, great example. And that's mm. with uncertainty, right? You want to be investing with the pros, right? I'd say this is probably the end of the road for most people who've made it as far as you, at least that's the way I saw it. I, I don't think you can do this remotely. I don't think you can, certainly you can't run a syndication deal from Hawaii. It, it ain't going to happen. I have operational partners that are boots on the ground. And it has to be like your full-time day job. None of the side gig stuff when you're taking other people's money. It's got to be full-time. And these guys can run it better than you. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is if you're working with the right people, they have much better deal flow. They're getting like the one out of a thousand deals because they've closed big deals in the past. And that's just something that you don't have access to. But it's hard as an LP to figure out what's what because anybody can pay some... VA 20 bucks to make a really nice, shiny PDF pitch deck, right? Often there's nothing in the pitch deck that tells you if it's a good deal. So it, it ultimately comes down to your network. You need to build a network with other high paid professionals, people that do this stuff and kind of get referrals on who are the right people to work with. Because I, you're I not a broke guy. Shied away so far. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I'm like, don't screw around with a burr. That's just a waste of time. Okay. But yeah, going back to your point, I think that's why I've, I've strayed away is because I, I don't really know exactly what I should be looking for in a syndication deal, so to speak. So that's why I was trying to get your take. What- yeah, and I, and I did the same thing, right? Like I had 11 rental properties and I knew about apartment syndication, but what I was doing was working. I got in my net worth up to a substantial level by myself and it was working, but I knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term sustainable solution. So I went and I eventually slowly went into it after I built my network around it. And I was able to ask these guys, all right, do these deals actually really work and then who to work with? So that was how I eventually, I fell into this and I transitioned over. But that's why it's a reboot. You, you, you got to come into different circles and then you got to learn how to evaluate deals from more of a passive investor standpoint. But a lot of that is just can be like proxied by just building relationships with the right people. But I would say stay away from class C properties. They're, they don't really cash flow like how they do on paper. Just stick to good yield-based assets. And I think that this is where it's a lot better than turnkeys because turnkeys, you, you're not buying value add. You're not buying, you're buying retail price. So if the market turns on you, well, you're going to lose the value of your property, like maybe 10, 20%. Which is fine because ultimately you're just buying an income stream. But with an apartment deal that's value add and has real value add and underwritten the right way, in times of trouble, you're often forced to appreciating that property, rehabbing units, increasing the NOI faster than the market can retract. So it's the idea is like a turnkey, you're on by yourself, right? You're in a little rowboat by yourself. But in a syndication deal, you're a, a passenger amongst a big cruise battleship. And that battleship has engine, which is in this metaphor, like the force appreciation component to fight the tide, which is the market. It's a good metaphor. Yeah. Had a lot of time to think about it. Do you want to join Noah's Ark or would you like to just be out there by yourself? You got like ducks, elephants, rhinoceroses, two of every kind. 
okay, that's what I think I've been. It's just shooting from the hip on my own, trying to figure things out. And I think there's, there's a lot of people just like in your same pedigree where you, in your 20s, you bought properties, you actually fix it up yourself. You say 10 years later, you have amassed a pretty good net worth. There's a lot of people like that in Hawaii, everywhere. And to me, I think all roads lead to syndications. There's no better way to scale up, build your wealth, and especially with all the taxes, right? This is this deal stuff is only a third of it, right? Like in the mastermind, we like it's all about legacy creation, infinite banking, uh, imp tax, legal, like paying no taxes, like Uncle Trump, right? It's funny people are talking all about that, like he's not paying taxes. Yeah, everybody does that. Biden does that too. Mick Romney did it. Like we should be asking how are these people doing it. I know how they do it, but we should be trying to implement their strategies instead of just saying that they're a thief, right? I would say just to give you like a working blueprint here, maybe invest, maybe 2020, I would say invest like 50 grand. And so just so you can see like a K1, come back March of 2021 and you can see like, oh shoot, this is what, that's what that damn cost segment, right? Mm-hmm. Now I don't understand why the rich do that. They're getting the, the bonus depreciation. Now I really love those house flippers because they pay all my taxes for all their active income taking all that risk and the burr people. And then I would say maybe get on like a routine where you go into a deal, I don't know, every six months. So that's like a hundred grand. And then at that point, you should see these deals start to cash flow. First six months, it usually takes a deal to restabilize. And then maybe around 20, late 2021, you should be able to realize, all right, where do I go for my next tranche of capital? You're still messing around with the HELOC. So it's awesome. Like a lot of this is reversible. You don't have to sell anything. You don't have to pay a mortgage broker to originate a, a new loan and pay fees. But eventually, now you start to go bigger, right? You're 100. And then you do that for a couple of years. Then you've deployed all this money. If I just sum this up, that's 750000 bucks. And then at that point, I would say around 2024, you might have an instance. We're selling deal in Atlanta that we did two and a half years ago. And we're two and a half Xing people's money. That's... It's phenomenal. It's not typical, but I would say if you go into four or five deals, by the year 2024, it won't be that five-year period where it was projected to sell. But I would say pretty confident at least one like refinance. And then at that point, oh boy, like this stuff works. And that's when you go to mom and dad and say, hey, I'd like to buy you out for this thing. And then look at look like all this deployed capital. You're not making any cash flow here. You have $750,000 times 0.2%. Well, no, no, let me go just 8% a year. That's 60 grand tax-free, right? Because you're going to have so much passive losses. You're not, not going to know what to do with it. It'll, this stuff will certainly be tax-free in the first three years, every year, the cash flow. And this is not what you're not seeing now. You're not seeing this additional sum come to your bottom line here. Right. And if I just plug that in here, because right now this stuff just levels off. You're making 3000 a month. But if I just increased it by 3000 see what that does. Now you're making an extra 40 grand a year to put to more investments, right? This is a good problem to have like, it's like I'm eating. I'm eating Skittles from the rainbow. I can't stop eating Skittles. There's so much Skittles. Because once I put more Skittles up there, it comes in my mouth. Like one of those rain, unicorn rainbows. This is where it starts. This is the most important. All this stuff will just happen. Yeah, but and yeah. I was thinking it'd be good. I can get some losses and then roll them if I ever sell those. Let's talk about that. 
when I sold my seven rentals in 2018, I had a $200,000 capital gain. And because I went into four, I think four deals at that point, I had over three, I think I had $300,000 of capital gain. So I bought the $200,000 passive losses offset the capital gain. And this is why 1031s are obsolete at this point, as long as bonus depreciation is at play. So let's just say you sell, you sell this one, right? Your cost basis was 250 and you sell it for that much. I would say you're Actually, it's the same thing as me, right? $200,000 capital gain plus depreciation recapture, 200 grand. Does that sound about right? So you're, you probably have a lot of passive losses built up right now. I'm, I'm guessing you might have 50 grand. I'm just guessing. But when you go into these deals, you put in 150,000 bucks, you probably will get maybe 100 grand of passive losses from this. Of course, You'll see this firsthand, right? Don't listen to me. Just see it for yourself on the K1, right? With this mm -hmm. first 2020 K1, which you'll see in 2021 March. So you'll have about $100,000 of passive losses. Plus, you have, a 50, like I said, you probably have $50,000 of passive losses now. So $150,000 passive losses. And that is what offsets mm -hmm. this sale. But if you're smart, you do it. You sell the asset probably in 2023 when you have when you've deployed this 200 grand and you've gotten another 100 grand of passive losses from that. So total, you'll have $250,000 of passive losses to offset this $200,000 gain. And you still have passive losses to, to spare. Does that make, make sense? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Why would anybody want to flip houses? Yeah. How the it's, wealthy do it. It's what I was thinking of doing, but I just wanted to get some confirmation. Yeah, yeah. That's what's hard, right? Who the heck does this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Other than reading like blog posts or watching your videos, I was still felt like I was piecing it together myself. So yeah, I'm. This is the pub public service announcement. Like, I am not a CPA. I'm not giving you tax or legal advice. But I think I my goal is to empower you guys with a working knowledge of this, so you can have the right information to go have an educated discussion with your CPA, your tax guy, because you're the one who should be driving the ship. Most CPAs and tax guys are lazy and they don't know what they're doing. That's why they have a day job. Any last? Maybe some specifics on what, as far as a syndication deal, I should look for any regions maybe that you think are, are worth looking into, or I don't know, maybe even diving down into some of the yield percentages or what should I be looking for? I, I, this is where you just talk, to, you build up a network and you ask people, what are you investing in? Why? What is your risk tolerance? If you ask me, I like stabilized deals from the get-go where it's already cash flowing and there is a proven concept for some value add where you just do simple things and you change out the flooring and new appliances. You're not putting any more than like $6,000 or rehab into a unit, like value add. And if you can lock it up for like under 3% debt, I think that's a no-brainer. In secondary markets, tertiary markets, in growth population areas, in, in uh, red states. So that's what I do. If that doesn't make sense to you, well, go find something else. But I think that's, again, it comes down to your network. Your network is your network. Everybody has a different investment philosophy too. But to me, for the greatest amount of success with the least amount of risk, I, I don't think that there's anything better than that kind of strategy or risk return spectrum. And you staying in that middle America where the rents are 700 to 1,000 bucks a month the pandemic, it's pandemic proof. It's been proven. Okay. So stay away from C-class. 
jump into a good cash flowing syndication with some trusted partners. That's good sound advice. Simple, okay. right? It's all simple, but it's yeah, the yeah, hard yeah. part is connecting with the right people, right? Because they're not at the local RIA. They're not at the free websites, right? right. You're just, you're just right. finding the guys who are just here that real estate's a great way to make some money and to get unbroke or get out of debt. Okay. And maybe you could speak a little bit more about your um, mastermind group. How, how exactly does it work? And- so my group is all about, we split the group up. I have an incubator group for like people just trying to get their first rental property. That's probably not for you, but that allowed me to make the mastermind group more for accredited investors. But I do like a mastermind in January. If like people want to check out the last name and go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash three and check out what we did there last time. But great opportunity to meet past uh, investors, accredited investors, and drink beers, go hiking, build a real relationship. That's the key here. I'm thinking about doing, I got to do some meditation on a plane here shortly. I think I might do this thing virtual this year. I was in another mastermind and we did it virtually. And then the, the organizer, there was a lot of planning involved, but they had they, they used the breakout rooms very creatively in a very different formats. So I think that I might put this thing together virtually. And I think that's, you're not going to be, there ain't going to be something that comes close, man. You don't want to sound off overconfident, but I'm super confident that this is what I would want it, right? When I was starting out, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I had to spend almost 50, 100 grand to get into groups myself and okay. do a lot of travel. But we do things for our credit investors here in Hawaii when people are, there's no pandemic, but I'll let you okay. know that, that at least you can actually see because... I think that's the trouble, right? If you've never been in, you've never been around more than two accredited investors, you don't understand what the value is there. And that's why I think why I want to do the virtual networking, probably like a two-day event. You get it. And you're like, there's no going back to rubbing shoulders with non-accredited investors anymore at that, at that point. Yeah, I think that would be super valuable. And like you're saying, just to hear what they're doing and where they're investing and how they're investing, I think it'd be really Yeah, because the discussions... Me turn more into like, all right, yeah, this is what everybody else is doing. Check. I answered that question, but now you can build relationships to have discussions on, oh, you're 2023 when this, when you go all in, right? That's where your life starts to open up. Maybe you, well, you already got a big house, but maybe that's yeah. when you like, you quit your date or you have your spouse quit your day job. Big house, right? but an old car. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that, those are like those higher level decisions. And then you wonder mm-hmm. if you want to send your kid to private school or so, First world problems. Sounds good, Lane. Yeah. Anything else? I think, yeah, I'm just leading you to water, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the people, people. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. I, I think it's been really helpful. Like I said, just talking through this. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty impressed. Most people our age with good paying jobs, they're lucky if their net worth is half a million bucks. If they invested in that garbage stock market 401k stuff. I'm you did a good job, man. Thank you. Yeah, high five. Yeah. This is a clear indication of how real estate works right here, but you can do a lot better. And now I I would say you got to focus on most accredited investors. The goal is to get to four and a half million. That's the real goal. That's legacy wealth right there. Cause you can have two, you can have two or three bonehead offsprings and then the mid pack have them do whatever. And it's really hard for them to screw up what you built. Yeah. So got to make sure they're on the golf team though. So that's where apparently that's where we met. All right. Cool, man. Cool. If you guys like this and you guys want to do one of these two, let me know. Lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Join the club, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. 
And yeah, be on the lookout for the next mastermind, whether it's in person or virtual. SimplePassiveCashflow.com slash Hui3 was last year's event. You can check out the video there. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained here. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.